Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, September 1st, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. As we head into the holiday weekend, it's interesting to note that according to the U.S. Department of Labor, Labor Day was observed on the first Monday in September and is an annual celebration of the social and economic achievements of American workers. The holiday is rooted in the late 19th century when labor activists pushed for a federal holiday to recognize the many contributions workers have made to America's strength, prosperity, and well-being. So be sure to celebrate with friends and family. Take the time away from work that you need. And again, thanks to all those over the past centuries that have made America great. And with me today, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share the fruits of their labor by providing insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Justin Tentallo, Director of Multi-Strategy Research. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was very robust for the week, so we'll try to bring you up to speed as quickly as possible, starting with housing in terms of the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller National Home Price Index, which showed an increase month over month of 0.7% in June, continuing to show that housing remains fairly strong and prices remain fairly steady. On Wednesday, the second estimate for second quarter 2023 real GDP came out at 2.1%, which was slightly lower than the first estimate at 2.4%, but still shows healthy, positive growth in the overall economy. And consumer spending for July still showed positive news in terms of up 0.8% in the read of personal consumption expenditures, but it shows a little bit of slowing, nonetheless still positive in terms of growth from the overall consumer. And switching to inflation, the Fed's preferred measure for inflation known as the Personal Consumption's Expenditure Index in terms of core, otherwise known as core PCE inflation, which excludes food and energy, actually went up one-tenth of one percent year over year in the month of July from 4.1% last month to 4.2% this month. So showing steady signs that inflation is not necessarily coming down as fast as the Fed might prefer, but nonetheless, we'll have to take a look at that in terms of the Fed's September meeting coming up in a couple weeks. And finally, as we switch to the job market, the week was chock full of information in multiple ways as we look at the health of the overall employment market within the United States. Starting with the JOLTS report, jobs opening actually went down from June at 9.1 million to July at 8.8 million, showing a very little bit of softening in terms of employers looking for new hires. And yesterday, initial unemployment claims stayed very constant from the prior few weeks at 228,000. And just this morning, the employment situation report, as produced by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, showed a couple different reads, including total non-farm payroll increased by 187,000 jobs in the month of August. However, there were revisions for the prior two months of a negative 110,000, so somewhat of a wash but still showing positivity in terms of new non-farm payrolls created month over month over month. 
In addition, the overall unemployment rate across the U.S. rose to 3.8% in August from 3.5% in July, which had remained fairly consistent in this corridor between 3.5 and 3.7 for about six months. So this tick up may be a sign of something that we need to consider watching, watching in terms of the overall unemployment rate. So with that, a lot of economic data to digest here this week. So let's turn to George and get his thoughts on what that means for the overall market, the Fed, and investors. George? Well, when you take the um, the cornucopia of, of data that you went through, Brian, I think that the net-net from where I stand is is that the economy is still chugging along pretty nicely. Um, I think overall, it seems like the labor market is kind of getting back into balance, and that's kind of what the Fed's been waiting to see for quite some time. You know, you talked a little bit about spending for a second. I mean, spending is actually quite robust, and I don't know if it's an impact with uh, with people going back to the theaters or people going to concerts, but you can't really dispute the fact that the overall spending levels have been pretty brisk. And I mean, at some point, those things might have to kind of come down to reality as we get back to work and back to school. Um, so there might be some seasonality in there that I think gets reversed or maybe cools down later this this fall and into the latter half of this year. But uh, for now, anyway, spending seems to be, be uh, pretty robust. It, it looks like people are kind of tapping credit cards again and that kind of thing, which is not sustainable. But nonetheless, for the moment, anyway, the economy continues to grow above trend. So that's kind of somewhat worrisome by itself in the sense that the Fed would probably like to see a little less momentum in the overall economy. Um, you know, you kind of look at today's job report, however, and it's kind of a mixed bag. But I think overall, it says maybe the Fed is kind of getting what it wants there, too. However, you know, they've talked about, for example, quite some time, they'd like to see some what they call slack in the market. That's kind of a fancy way of talking about the fact that there might be some higher unemployment. There might be a few more people, unfortunately, losing their jobs. And that would actually kind of take wage pressures down and kind of take inflation down by, by their view. You know, we didn't quite see that um, that labor number, that wage number rather come down in a big way, but it did moderate a little bit from the prior month. Um, the numbers overall, I think, were pretty decent. Um, our hourly earnings rose two tenths of one percent, which again is kind of a slowdown from the prior month of uh, four tenths of one percent. And you know, maybe we're kind of parsing too many numbers there, but I think overall the labor market is kind of slowly kind of coming back into balance. Uh, you talked about uh, number of jobs that are opening have also shrunk. I think more probably a more interesting tell with respect to what the Fed is thinking is this thing called the quits rate, a quits rate. <clears throat> excuse me, where more people are voluntarily leaving their jobs with the prospect of trying to find another job later. That number has come down quite a bit, and I think it's back to pre-pandemic levels, actually. So we've kind of seen some more normalization there in that uh, that reading. So overall, you know, I think the Fed is probably like to be on hold in September. Uh, so I think we've kind of kind of taken that risk away. I think at the same time, there's probably still some some things we have to kind of get through between now and November, which is their next meeting. But that's kind of a long way away from right now. For now, however, though, the market seems to be kind of content with this narrative that uh, things are are still growing but slowing. Inflation is cooling, but not really sufficiently cooled. So it seems to, to me, Steve, anyway, that we've got this kind of interesting setup where Goldilocks is kind of back. So what do you make of that with respect to the equity market? Yeah, the market definitely thinks the Goldilocks is here, George. You know, I think the, the market really sees on one of those numbers you talked about, which is that it's a little bit more esoteric, but it's that participation rate, the labor force participation rate. So we did see the unemployment rate jump from 35 to 3.8%, but it did that largely because the participation rate ticked up. And I was looking at that this morning, I'm gonna have a chart in the key charts this week about it, uh, because we're, we're roughly right now uh, at the same labor force participation rate that we were in late 2018. It's actually the first time we've gotten back to these levels uh, post pandemic. 
And uh, we're, we're right about uh, within a tenth of a point of being at the average labor force participation rate prior to the pandemic. So, you know, the market sees this as an economy that's finally coming back into balance um, and, and really thinks that this is going to be able to, to give the Fed the ability to, to, to be able to pause in September at the very least, um, if not. Uh, have the most recent hike end up being the, the last hike this cycle in hindsight. So um, we'll have to stay tuned and see if that's that is actually the case. Um, growth has continued to uh, do okay in terms of the economy, but uh, equity markets have been seeing earnings estimates for next year continue to rise. We're up to $235 now for the S&P 500 uh, aggregate forward 12-month earnings number, which has supported the recent rally that we've seen and and you know we've seen credit remain firm all through the the pullback that we had in late august which now in hindsight again looks like it was more liquidity driven than anything fundamental so you know we have the doldrums that you get into in august there's low liquidity conditions market can get pushed around a bit um and it seems like that's probably what happened you know volatility is now within a hair's breadth of cycle lows. Uh, the low that we had earlier this summer was 12.9. We're at a little bit over 13 right now this morning. Um, so volatility is collapsing and, and this is happening all in a time when seasonals are supposed to be pretty weak. So you know, the fact that the market is showing pretty good resilience here um, and the economy is cooperating with this Goldilocks scenario unfolding really does, um, in, in my view, point to a, a pretty solid outlook for the last three and a half months plus of the year as we head into the year end period. I do think at the same time, though, Steve, I think people, I think the Fed in particular probably has to be a bit careful for what it wishes for, right? In the sense that the employment numbers that you, uh, you cited and Brian mentioned also in, in his remarks are pretty positive for now, but there there can be a slippery slope. I mean, in other words, we've seen unemployment now tick up a little bit, and some of that is is for the reasons you cited, where more people are actually coming back to the labor market, which is actually going to cause price, probably wages to come down. So that's a good thing. But I think at the same time, we've seen cycles in the past where once you start to see unemployment pick up, and again, it's just one month, so I don't want to make too much of it, but it can reverse pretty quickly if we're not careful. So I do think we have to be kind of cognizant of the fact that maybe the second half could be a, a little bit more volatile if we're not careful. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I don't disagree. You know, if you look historically, when you've had a significant rise in the unemployment rate uh, on a statistical basis from a low, it does tend to to mark a turning point in the cycle. The thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, though, George, has been, you know, if you look at what happened to corporate earnings last year, corporate earnings had a had a earnings recession. Uh, we had a had a period of time last year where we printed two GDP numbers that were negative. Um, and yet, you know, everybody continues to focus on this yield curve inversion today, thinking that the yield curve is forecasting a recession in the future. When in in hind, I, I, I'm really wondering if we had the recession last year, but it wasn't declared one by the NBER. And if that's the case, then this, when you when you see cyclical leadership in the market, you see things um, occurring like we're we're seeing occur in the economy today. Um, it it really makes me wonder if you know this cycle really is unfolding differently for a whole host of reasons. I mean, the the whole post COVID stimulus, all that business. Um, it just seems like economic indicators aren't working the way that they have uh, historically. And you know, maybe that unemployment rate tick up isn't going to necessarily 
be any nefarious signal this time. When you talk about things that, that don't really work the way they used to, you know, there used to be a time when stocks and bonds kind of moved in different directions. Um, so if your stock portfolio went down, your bond portfolio would kind of immunize some of those declines and actually kind of lessen the blow. This is a little different time in, in the sense of this time where, where both stock prices and bond prices are moving more in tandem than they have in, in a long time. And so that's one of the reasons we've been talking about using these things called new tools to expand the overall diversification of somebody's portfolio. Now, now one of the key components of those new tools uh, is private equity. And, and Justin, let me get your thoughts on this, because there's a lot of a lot of discussion lately about what's happening in the private equity universe, particularly from some changes that the SEC has put forth. So maybe Justin, if you don't mind, share some of your thoughts about private equity and where it is right now in, in your view. Yes, George, uh, thank you. Um, just to just recap a little bit what happened with the recent rule changes. Last week, the SEC finalized um, proposed changes that they made for what they call private fund advisors. And by that, they're referring to the likes of private equity, but also hedge fund managers anything that's sort of uh, commingled in an unregistered uh, private fund, uh, that's what these new rules apply to. So a, a couple things to note. Uh, one is that the first thing is that as usual, most of the drastic proposals were watered down through the consultation process, but the most important changes that did make it through uh, had to do with a couple things. One, increasing transparency, uh, which is always usually a good thing, and uh, secondly, removing cases where there were preferential treatment to certain fund investors. So for example, a hedge fund manager may have historically offered lower fees or better redemption terms to certain investors. Those investors may be larger or more sophisticated, whatever you might have it. Uh, they were either getting lower fees or slightly easier redemption terms. That won't be possible under the new rules all investors will now have the opportunity to invest uh, at the same terms, and there will no longer be the same form of side letter agreements that, um, that used to give preferential terms. Uh, the same also applies to what they call preferential access to information. Uh, without getting too much into the weeds, the new, new rules uh, um, force the funds to disclose any information about the fund assets to all investors at the same time. And that's really to uh, short circuit the potential that some investors get an insight into the underlying assets and have an easier way or a faster way of determining whether uh, they should redeem or not. Now, anything to, to do with the underlying assets has to be disclosed at the same time. So net-net, when we think about these new tools that increasingly are being adopted by, um, by investors at smaller and smaller scale, uh, this is probably a, a good move to add transparency and to reduce uh, instances where there have been uh, preferential treatment. So uh, good news on the private fund side and good news for investors looking to, again, use these new tools. I think that's a great summary, Justin. I personally think that that's, uh, it'll be curious to see how transparency in particular help things. I mean, typically, some people like to be a little bit more private and discreet about their investments in these vehicles, and uh, and that might actually dent returns a little bit. But I do tend to agree with you that uh, preferential treatment and all those things like that are going away, which is probably a good thing for investors. So we'll continue to think about that category in a significant way. Uh, I think it does kind of lend us support that we want to be mindful of the fact that things are uh, things are kind of going along pretty nicely for the economy right now, but things can change pretty quickly. And so again, we think that uh, overall you want to be somewhat 
uh, balance toward risk in your portfolio, and you really want to stay fully diversified and uh, and really emphasizing quality throughout the cycle as we've done much of this year. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Justin. We appreciate your insights, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by Key Corp 2023.